As technology, healthcare, and business continue to evolve at a rapid pace, trailblazers all over the globe are boldly stepping forward to change things for the better. They're pushing past boundaries in every area and charting a new path forward. There's no denying the world as we know it is in the midst of an epic transformation. Welcome to Present Day Pioneers, the podcast exploring the alternative models that are reshaping the way our society thinks, feels, and behaves. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfort from Patino Payments. Thanks for joining me on this fascinating journey as we catch a glimpse of what the future holds. Now, let's get into the episode. There's no doubt there are exciting things happening in pretty much every industry these days. Thought leaders, industry experts, and fearless trailblazers are making waves in every area from AI to hospitality. While it's exciting to think about the new innovations that are on the horizon today and the people that are helping to drive them forward, we may rarely stop to think about the pathways they may have taken to get there. Success in any industry depends on education, training, and a chance to get a foot in the door in the first place. But unfortunately, not everyone has equal access to these opportunities. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Investing in the learning and development of the youth is one of the best ways we can shape our collective destiny together. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Rusty Greif, the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at Jobs for the Future. JFF is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to addressing the systemic barriers standing in the way of building more equitable career and educational pathways for present and future generations. Rusty is here to give us a glimpse of some of the great work they're doing at JFF and how we can all invest in a brighter future for younger people today. Enjoy the episode. To start off this show, could you give us a little background about your career and story so far? A lot of my work has been really focused on being an impact entrepreneur and really trying to find exciting places to have platforms to drive impact in interesting ways. And so full disclosure, I'm a recovering policy wonk. And I worked early on uh, in the Clinton administration. It was an important moment in my life because I actually worked in launching the President's AmeriCorps program, a domestic Peace Corps program, and the relevance of working in the White House Office of National Service that eventually became the Corporation for National Service is my mentor, the CEO, was a really successful disruptor and innovator and pioneer himself. He had been a successful entrepreneur. And he really taught me and others, mentored me around the power of innovating not just in a traditional startup sense, but also within government and leveraging diverse stakeholders along the way to drive impact. And so that was a really powerful lesson. I said to people all the time, it was my first startup and it was a $650 million startup. And then I happily sold my soul and got my MBA, which I really needed and wanted. And I was comfortable doing that. And then I spent three years learning at the highest level how to do corporate M&A at a large media company called USA Interactive that Barry Diller was the founder and CEO of. And it taught me how to run into a wall, honestly, Um, learn how to do deals, acquire companies like Match.com and and Travelocity, like crazy stuff. And it was a skill set I kind of wanted to learn along the way. But honestly, it was a a kind of soulless exercise, Jackson. So I left and joined a a great group called Sterling, and they were a private equity firm focused solely on uh, innovating and pioneering in the education space. And became an operator there and launched a, a bunch of interesting education companies in the K-12 and the higher ed space. Learned what it was like to scale those things um, nationally. 
and had some success doing that and was there for around eight plus years. And in the process of doing that, I realized that I had a lot of entrepreneurial DNA in me. And I was frankly a little restless and I wanted to kind of be part of a team that was starting something new. And so spent around six years in Silicon Valley uh, as a founding member and co-founder of two ed tech companies. One was a great company called Grocket, where we literally were kind of ahead of the marketplace around building out a platform for test prep that was peer-to-peer learning that had not really been done before. We grew to around 15 million users. It was an amazing experience. I failed every day. I succeeded every week, um, learning what it was like to raise major capital and from some of the top venture capital funds in the in the world. And we wound up selling that company to Kaplan Test Prep, kind of the large Kaplan, you know, um, entity. And it was an amazing experience. And so that same team with same board members, um, some of them were, were co-founders of Facebook and had raised a lot of money. We started another company called Learnist that became the fastest learning app, growing app uh, in all of Apple. Uh, we grew to around 45 million users in around 19 months. And it was a curation platform. Uh, allowed you to curate any kind of multimedia you wanted on the internet and basically become your own teacher. It was almost like masterclass before there was masterclass, if you're familiar with it. So after that experience, uh, I joined a, a really cool global uh, a, a accelerator and incubator called 1776. That was an amazing experience along the way. And you know, I like to operate, so it's fun to be on the venture side, but I like to operate along the way. And so I also joined a, a, another company after the fund had a lot of success called 2U, which is a company here in D.C. It's based in D.C., but a global company that has really been a disruptor in the last uh, 12 plus years. So I've always had one foot in and one foot out in the private sector, the public sector, always focusing on where is their impact platforms to grow. And, and how I got to JFF is I've always had an advisory practice over the years, primarily working with presidents and deans of universities, uh, all around online learning and educational innovation, working with private equity and venture funds in the same space, and then working with CEOs of tech companies and a select group of of really high-impact organizations. And JFF was actually a client. I worked really closely with Maria Flynn, our CEO, uh, and members of the board and leadership team to help with some strategy and growth, and frankly, had been familiar with JFF. And I, I just honestly didn't see another platform in the entire marketplace and large ecosystem that could be a more powerful catalyst for accelerating innovation to reimagine the future of work and learning. And I became so excited about the place that JFF was in and the opportunity that I had the, the good fortune of coming on board full-time around seven or eight months ago as a chief strategy and growth officer and really pushing our work as a national nonprofit that drives transformation in the American workforce and educational systems. We're really focused on system innovation, system change, and that focuses all about equitable economic advancement for all. I just felt like that was a really powerful platform to, to leverage a lot of my skill sets and experiences. Super interesting, Rusty. Honestly, one of the things that you touched on is entrepreneurship, and I'm all for that. That's something that I would like to pursue in my life. And to kind of quote what Elon Musk said, it's like chewing on glass being an entrepreneur. But in your case, it, it almost sounds like it was kind of taking the high road every single time. So it's, it's good to hear your story. I have a lot of bruises and scars to show for it, Jackson. <laughs> I was wondering if you could also give us a brief overview of the role and what an average day looks like for you. If I could figure out what an average day looked like, I'm all in, um, <laughs> which is part of the excitement and fun. So what I kind of do at JFF is um, I actually am lucky to, to um, oversee a group called Strategy. It's called SG2I. It's Strategy Growth 
innovation and impact. And so really my role is to uh, work really closely with the leadership team and JFF as, as a whole in driving a multi-year strategy in our work and how do we become most relevant and impactful in the work that we're doing. And, you know, what does that also mean of how that translates into a growth experience and, and, and you know, how we're, we're in an accelerated mode. We, we, were in a, we are a hyper growth organization. Uh, when I came on board around eight months ago, we were probably 120 employees. We're already 250 and we'll be 100 plus in the coming months. And so how do you put a growth agenda attached to that? And then also, how do we think about driving innovation both internally and externally? And then finally, how are we measuring our success, right? How are we better articulating the impact that we are driving across the ecosystems and the marketplaces that we work really closely with? So a lot of my time, Jackson, is um, internally um, really getting alignment, right, and getting clarity for us as a leadership team, as an organization, again, that's in a hyper growth mode, how are we organizing for success? You know, how do we design for success in that way? So a lot of that work is alignment around strategy and growth as an organization. But then the second big piece, as you'd imagine, is working with partners in the ecosystem. And that, as I said, is a really diversified group of stakeholders. It's it's presidents and deans of forward-thinking universities. It's connecting the dots to employers where we work with some of the largest corporations in the world from Comcast, Verizon, Salesforce, Walmart, to working really with funders from the philanthropy and foundation community to private equity and venture, and working with you know community-based organizations on a regional way. So um, there's a lot of internal work that we're doing because we're in hyper growth mode and making sure that we're true to our mission and values and that we're true to our culture. And then there's a lot of work externally about how do we um, thoughtfully grow and partner, again, all in the in the mission around driving innovation and transformation for system-wide change to help workers and learners advance socially and economically and find career pathways that energize them. That's hard, complex, but really uh, energizing work. So you know, I'm guilty. Uh, I'm a passion junkie. If you haven't kind of heard it in my voice, and I usually jump out of bed with my work at JFF because it's pretty inspiring, complicated stuff. Yeah. And that's the work I like to do. Good for you, man. Everybody's got to have that inspiration when they jump out of bed in the morning. I feel that um, that's why entrepreneurship is so you have to be passionate about it. You can't just roll out of bed and think that you're going to roll into work at nine o'clock and it's going to be done at five, right? There's going to be tasks all throughout the day that you can't actually key in and write them out from A to Z. You touched base on what JFF's mission was, but I was wondering if you could kind of pinpoint on it again to give listeners exactly what it is that JFF does in kind of a, a slogan base, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So we see ourselves as this kind of powerful catalyst, if you will, that's really focusing on accelerating innovation. And that focuses around reimagining the future of work and learning. We do that as a platform where we are a national nonprofit. So we are a, a you know, a, a, as just as we are structured, but we're an interesting entity. Um, and the focus of our work is driving transformation around the American workforce system and education systems. All of that within a lens, Jackson, that's around equitable economic advancement for all. And the way we look at our work is in five focus areas and really kind of bear down, then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about kind of how we do it. But but the five areas around worker and learner opportunities. So we're really focusing on the individual and populations. You know, how do we transform educational employment? 
and talent advancement systems to address very real systemic issues around economic uh, advancement and equitable advancement. And those are huge issues facing Black and Latinx workers and learners. And so that's a big area for us. To do that, we're really focusing on transforming career and educational navigation. So that's the second focus area. How do we help people find personalized career pathways and the ability for JFF to support a lot of these existing platforms to drive lifelong learning and its relevance around career pathways is a second focus area. To do that, JFF is also adds a lot of our resources around determining kind of quality and efficacy in the ecosystem and the marketplace. What's working for learners and workers? How are they determining a credential, a boot camp, a degree that actually has a direct relationship to equitable economic advancement for them? And so that's a third piece that we're really focusing on. And then the final two is a whole new transformational model around the integration of learning and work. In the past, the, the, the experience that a lot of us have faced as learner workers and so forth has been a traditional two or four year institution and going to college and then maybe trying to wor work your way along. But we're, we're now in a very different world where innovators are integrating learning and work in lifelong learning ways through credentials, right? Certificates, boot camps. It's completely nonlinear. And JFF is leading a lot of that work with kind of groundbreaking models that are really transformative. And then the final focus area that we 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 look at is all of this is frankly kind of irrelevant if we all play in the stars and it's national in scope. So we have national scale. But a lot of our work is rooted in place-based impact, as in just how are we impacting regional economies? How are we affecting your economy, Jackson, and where your community is, which is different from mine? And that's, that's really relevant. And we do that essentially four ways. We design with, with partners and stakeholders kind of new innovative models. We focus on influence. So we convene um, uh, leaders from different sectors to come together and be part of this through thought leadership, the research and insights of best practices that work. The third way we do it, Jackson, is around scale. So everything we do is always with a scale lens. How can we be transformative around system-wide change and scaling this across regional economies and institutions? And then finally, we do it by investing. So we have our own fund that we invest in cutting edge ed tech and workforce innovation companies that are startups that are pioneering and innovating in their own ways. It's really important for us at JFF. And, and frankly, we're unusual this way where we get to work with secretaries of labor and education at the highest levels, where we're working with the government and we're an influencer for them while also working with CEOs of large corporations or on employer impact while also working with community-based organizations at the ground level, but making sure we have a, a foot in the startup community, in the innovative community, and frankly, the private equity and venture community that is oftentimes pushing and accelerating this work beyond traditional funding streams. It's pretty rare, Jackson, that you have one platform, one entity like JFF that can pull that together, and that's why we do it. And that's why we've been able to be successful over the last almost 40 years now in really driving that growth and impact. The second point I really like that you touch on, that was the career pathways. I think the traditional schooling method of going and at least in Canada, um, having experience outside of there, but in Canada, it's just going and going to school, sitting down six to eight hours a day, learning your math, your sciences, your, um, your language arts. And 
you don't you don't really take care of the people that don't fit inside that box. There's all different ways of thinking. Exactly like you said, you can't have the guy that has ADD maybe, and the only way to keep him sitting in that desk is to medicate him. That's just not going to work. So in Canada, we have some of those schools that they take them outside that box and they go and they take them to the woods and they teach them about trades and you need all those people, right? Because that kid that has ADD, sure, he might not be good at sitting at a desk, but he's going to be fantastic at the trades because he always wants to be doing something, right? So to focus on those career pathways, I think is very important. I think it's very valuable for the future going forward. Yeah, Jackson, I couldn't agree more. And, and a, a lot of our work is also just recognizing what has been, you know, past kind of structural points of obstacles for different learners and workers, especially rooted around, in some cases, occupational uh, segregation for uh, Black learners and workers or Latinx learners and workers, um, and the um, their lack of ability to get equitable access to learning and opportunities. A big area that we we focus on is looking at network effect, right? Like how do you leverage networks on a personal and professional level that advance your career? Well, the, a lot of those networks are limited. And so technology, um, leadership, um, being able to, to diversify those networks can be really powerful. The final point on this, as you were calling it out, is you know, we do a lot of work at JFF. You know, one of the things that's really powerful as an asset for us is we have networks. And what I mean by that is, for example, we manage the largest network in the United States for community colleges. Well, think about how powerful that is, is when you are able to leverage leaders from community colleges to think about new models of success to exactly your point around guided pathways or career pathways and create personalized kind of pathways for that. We also bring best practices to those networks. Another network for us that's a really powerful one is working with over 300 uh, corporations that are, you know, impact employers that we've defined with them of how to be a better employer around job quality and looking around its impact around diversification and diversity and, and equity and inclusion, looking about that around educational pathways and training. Like those are really powerful things. And so if you could take networks across either employers if you take networks across four-year or two-year institutions, if you take networks across workforce boards and job training centers, you have the ability to really move the dial system-wide to bring those more innovative practices to bear. And to your point, Jackson, the ability to then think about in, in inventions, if you will, around personal pathways and lifelong learning, that's going to be different from you to me to others and where they are in their careers. Because as you all, as we all know, there's nothing linear anymore about the way we live our lives, you know, in how we either learn from work or learn from school or learn from networks and communities. And I think that's a big part of the work that we're driving at JFF is frankly being ahead of the curve, if you will, and thinking ahead, uh, you know, many steps uh, 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 beyond of, you know, what does that nonlinear, for lack of a better term, marketplace look like for learning and work in the future? That's really exciting to us because we know that that's where learners, workers, and consumers are kind of living and breathing. It's inspiring to hear about JFF's long-term vision and lofty goals. Not only is JFF focused on removing the systemic barriers preventing equitable opportunities for all, but as Rusty explained, the organization is digging even deeper than this to reimagine the education system completely. If there's one thing we've learned collectively from the pandemic period, it's that many of our society's systems are broken, and they've been broken for years. 
Now more than ever, we need organizations like JFF to challenge the status quo and move the needle towards equitable economic advancement for all. By helping people who are at an economic disadvantage, such as Black and Latinx communities navigate the career ecosystem, JFF is championing equity and fighting against inequality. As Rusty mentioned, career pathways are becoming increasingly non-linear today, so providing support and guidance to underserved communities is essential. So let's talk about, I, we jumped into some of the systemic changes that JFF is trying to kind of break down the barriers there, but what are some of those systemic issues that need to be addressed in order to create a better foundation for students and youth as a whole? You know, I think I'd probably frame it in a couple in a couple of ways, uh, Jackson. I think first and foremost, I mean, I, th I think we have to, you know, and it's been an unusual two to three years with the pandemic, but also kind of a racial reckoning that we've been experiencing, not just in the United States, but also globally. I think one is continued occupational segregation, systemic racism. So that's a huge part of a lot that fuels a lot of our work around an equity lens, right? I mean, issues around wealth gap is a huge, huge th concern that we think about from a system-wide level and kind of its limits on social and economic mobility. So I think that that's a huge piece of the equation I want to start off with there because it, it really does feed our work on a daily basis. The second area I think is just as a trend line and kind of things that we're looking at that we think are kind of solvable problems, if you will, is a more fluid dynamic and kind of what I would call increasingly proprietary marketplace around learning, training, and platforms. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's innovations that's going on that are trying to, frankly, solve the problems that I talked about before, Jackson, around silos, right? Universities are not preparing our students to be successful in the workplace. They are not aligned with what the needs are for regional economies or, or even global economies. That's a huge issue that we're that we address and look at that from an innovation innovation lens from the private sector, from the tech sector, from from the public sector and so forth of how do we think about that work. Another area that I think we, we're really focusing around, and, and again, this kind of bleeds into the focus areas that I that I talked about, is kind of this disorientation of workers and learners that are that are having a tough time, as you called out, Jackson kind of navigating their own needs from an education and training standpoint. I'm not talking about when you're 23. I'm talking about also when you're 35 and 45. And like, what does that look like from a lifelong standpoint? And right now, frankly, as you called out earlier, it's really hard to navigate and make sense of either a lot of solutions that may be out there for that, or also what you need for certain jobs of economic advancement. And so that's a huge piece of the equation that we look at. Another area that is really powerful one for us, as you'd imagine, is innovative financing. How are people funding their education? How are they funding their training? I would argue that this is an unprecedented time of diversified capital that is being kind of available, either if it's federal dollars or state dollars at the public level, but also through philanthropy, also through private equity and venture. And so it's super exciting when there's so much capital in the marketplace to arguably solve some of these issues, but it's also really uh, problematic to figure out where are there efficient opportunities to spend that capital and channel that capital and ways to close some of these issues that we're talking about. You know, looking at you know why do Black learners and Latinx learners continue to earn you know three times, two to three times less than some of our uh, white workers over 
at every stage of education. Well, there's 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 solutions there systemically and from a program design standpoint, but also in in the ability for us to leverage capital in cool ways. And then the final thing that I would just call out that I think is a real issue that remains is just how do you drive innovation, as we've talked about before, through integration? And what I mean by that is like, how do you look at integrative problem solving? Where like you're bringing in the best thinking from the private and public sector, from entrepreneurs, from technologists. And, and again, it's, it's a big piece of our work is getting those people in a room and not just getting them in a room, you know, for a day, but it's like, how do you build on that and actually build partnerships, models, and uh, system-wide change in that over a two to five to 10-year experience? That's pretty cool. You know, that's work that I get energized by, and it's work that I think has to happen for us to solve some of these system-wide issues. Yeah, you got to be able to plant seeds almost in every sector and be able to water them with equal funding to see which one's going to grow the biggest, because it's going to benefit everybody in the long run. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think that one of the things that's that's a tough thing culturally for, for a lot of us in our work is a comfort level, you know, of, of failing fast to some degree and learning from that. You know, one of the things that we do, I think, well is curating insights and best practices, like what's actually working? Sometimes like there's been some cool science in how people learn and how people grow in their work environment and where there are invi- where in a uh, corporation or a company or any entity where there's a culture that allows people to thrive. Some of this work has been brilliantly done, not just from JFF, but with other partners of ours you know, for years. How do you take that work and how do you move that you know, through the system so that you're either failing faster, you're taking best practices and, 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 and scaling that work in interesting ways? And sometimes that's hard to do and sometimes that's, that's why it's, it's cool work. The, the other thing I'll just add, Jackson, is I think we've all kind of grown up in pretty linear thinking. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the way, you know, funding works, especially, you know, in traditional capital sources like government and state, like it's a very linear line, but we, we, we live in a nonlinear world now, you know, and we live in a world because of technology and because of other reasons where it is more fluid and it is more dynamic. And I think JFF and other Entities work with a lot of, of stakeholders and partners to figure out how to address and not, you know, problems and opportunities around learning, training and work uh, in, a, in a nonlinear fashion, because that's that's what people are now expecting. I'd like to take a step back and jump into your uh, public sector work there and ask you the question of uh, what are some of the fundamental shifts that need to occur among leaders and policymakers to create a better system? I think first is actually something that I just touched on, which is this point about appreciating that in the work that we do, I'll just, just talk about in the context of learning and work, that, as I said, that, that there's not a linear pathway for that. So, for example, the ability for us to create more incentives for not just a learn-to-work experience for all of us, but also a work-to-learn experience that needs to be established at the federal and state level of having more agility and more flexibility, if you will, around funding sources that actually support more competency-based learning and work-related learning. So for example, uh, and I'm a, I'm, you know, I worked in the government, I understand how to navigate and, and, and appreciate the value of, of creating regulations and protections on this, but we are living in a world where there's an enormous amount of funding that or, or, or costs associated with people uh, expanding their learning. 
right, in non-traditional ways now, as I said before, credentials, certificates, boot camps, those kinds of experiences around lifelong learning. And, and fundamentally, our, the public sector still looks at the world around these siloed spaces around Pell Grants and funding for two-year schools or four-year schools. And there needs to be, I would argue, more innovation in that. One arm that we have, Jackson, is we focus on what we call financing for the future. So we have an entire group that's focusing on innovative financing models to help workers and learners, again, create, to your earlier point, personal pathways and career pathways for success. That's an area in the public sector is playing catch up in. And they need to, I think, arguably be more sophisticated about those funding sources and where those funding sources sit and how we think about that work. So I think the nonlinear piece is a big part of it. I think another big piece, and this is a huge area of our work, is uh, I think apprenticeship models. We have an entire center, Jackson, on apprenticeships. Apprenticeship has been you know, a model that has, has been around for centuries, if you will. But I would argue that, again, we receive a fair amount of funding from the Department of Labor, but there's a whole new wave of innovation of what does that look like? Online apprenticeships, blended learning apprenticeships, registered, non-registered apprenticeships. And that's an area, again, where I think that the public sector needs to get more comfortable about how they think about channeling capital to support that. The final piece that I would raise, and this, this goes back to even my years in launching AmeriCorps, is I still believe that we live in a pretty siloed world in the context of public uh, disruption around education, learning, and, and work. And what I mean by that is that um, the most impactful ways of driving innovation is through partnerships between the public and private sector. And again, I'm, I'm all for the need for protections around that, but I would argue that there still is opportunities for public funding to be more intentional in working with employers directly creating more intentional funding sources to support pathways that come from the universities into regional employers, to create more interesting funding models uh, and programs that link what has been antiquated systems and workforce boards, job training systems. You know, like there's an ecosystem, right? Jackson, you live in a community where each community has its own ecosystem to help learners and workers. It involves community-based organizations, employers, and institutions. The government and public sector still oftentimes see the, sees these as disparate players in a regional economy or a national economy. We need to have more flexibility in how we fund and how we build programs and design to link and integrate those models better. Because again, that's how you and me learn and work together. We hop between jobs. We hop between universities and lifelong learning. We get certificates and credentials. Public sector, I think, needs to better understand what that relationship looks like. Rusty, would you say the pandemic accelerated the shifts we're seeing in the education system as a whole? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Jackson. It's it's obviously been this extraordinary experience that we've all lived through, right? It's just a stunning tragedy and how it's kind of impact how we live, we learn and work in really profound ways. And so it has, it's accelerated that on every level. I, I mean, think about this, right? You have, especially black and Latinx learners and workers, women looking at workers that are coming from low wage positions or um, less educated have profoundly been impacted more than others. And I think, unfortunately, the pandemic has uncovered some very real issues that we've been dealing with, 
especially a combination of the racial reckoning over the last 50, if not 150 to 200 plus years. And so this has all crashed hard on all of us, and we've lived through it, where I would argue that there's some interesting opportunities that come out of these really difficult times is it's accelerated on the learning side, obviously, like how we learn through digital transformation and online learning and work, right? So universities and colleges have had to change their mode of learning. They've had to create a more dynamic way of creating, as I said, nonlinear learning to allow people to have mobile experiences in their learning at the two-year, four-year, or lifelong learning way. That's amazing. And that has been profoundly accelerated in the last 12 plus months. So I was part of a, a, a company to you that was really innovating the online degree and lifelong learning and certificates. Well, that has now become mainstream. And so like, that's really profound. I think on the second level, it's forced us to figure out how to be more effective colleagues and work in obviously mobile spaces and in distributed workforce and how we think about things like supply chain management and training and lifelong learning in ways that were more relevant. And so sometimes, as shocking and hard as it is, these tragic events naturally change the way we see the world and the way we see what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I think we're now seeing that, frankly, the wealth gap is more profound than folks, uh, I, I think, ever really addressed. The skills gap is more profound than was realized. Distributed workforce issues for regional economies and global economies is more profound. And frankly, a siloed environment between learning, training, employment, and how we kind of live our lives through work and economic advancement I think was accelerated with this pandemic. And that's the work that we're excited about at JFF to try to find innovations and solutions along the way. And it's forced all of us as stakeholders in this work to really uh, accelerate, frankly, our thinking, our funding, our innovation in this, because it's now staring at us in the face on a daily, weekly basis. Sometimes even the most tragic experiences force activation and action in ways that that we didn't realize. I'd like to think we're in that stage and phase as a country, as an economy, you know, and as part of of what we're trying to address around uh, issues of of, uh, racial equity, access, and economic advancement for all. Disruptive, innovative, hard time to be dealing with this, but that's also an exciting time for us to figure out what those solutions and high impact opportunities look like for not just JFF, but for the ecosystem at large. I was wondering um, if you could tell us some of the exciting new innovations in the education and career preparation system that you feel are signaling positive movement going forward. You know, I think what's really cool, Jackson, is I think that um, like one of them, let's just look at like universities and post-secondary. That business model of just traditional, either the two-year model or the four-year model, has been turned upside down, not just because of the pandemic, but because of, frankly, the global economy. And what I mean by that is just the idea of having, like, you learn your, your you know, you learn your classes and your, your content and your curriculum, and, and you kind of hope and pray that it's relevant in the workforce. Like, that just doesn't work anymore. And so 
one, you see innovators just in, in the world of, of post-secondary education, schools like Southern New Hampshire University, schools like Paul Quinn College, Davidson College. You even look at schools like Western Governors. Those institutions are absolutely transforming the experience and the proposition of going to university and college now because they have direct link to lifelong learning, to career pathways in specific regions and in, in markets or nationally. And they're really taking a much more integrated approach to competency-based learning and integrative models. So on one end, you have these innovators on the university side. You also candidly have incumbents that you're going to see are, are, are actually disappearing. You know, it's like the business model has changed on the post-secondary side. So universities are shutting down. And so there's like this wild kind of consolidation that's going on. And so innovators like Southern New Hampshire, Western Governors, even believe it or not, institutions like Harvard that are providing a lot more access and, 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 and lower priced offerings to a wider group of learners and workers is really powerful in its own right. And so you have players like that just on the university side. But another area of innovators is um, like a company called Guild, which is doing really innovative work on building out marketplaces. And what they've done is they identified funding sources that large-scale corporations have for employee benefits, and they're channeling those dollars to build out a marketplace that where they go to a, a, a corporation, if it's a Chipotle or a Walmart or, or others, and literally... They are offering online degrees. They're offering certificates, credentials for learning, especially for learners that either have some credits but may not have a four-year degree. And so you go work at these schools, these corporations, and suddenly you have the ability to be part of a learning system because there's a technology platform, there's access to funding that Guild has been able to facilitate. That's pretty groundbreaking work. And you see others that are doing similar work in that space, Jackson. That's really cool. So like that's kind of my earlier point about a nonlinear way that we advance our learning and advance our training and advance our skills is you have some of the leading employers right now that are really finding ways to connect all of that training and learning while those employees are actually working at these amazing companies. And so I think that's like a really, really compelling innovation that's also happening that, that I'm excited about. There's also entities like SkillUp that are platforms in the marketplace and 110 that are literally taking, you know, leveraging CEOs from corporations and committing them into a platform that helps people, as we talked about before, come to a platform to better assess where their skills are right now, right? Like what they're missing and what they need to get very specific jobs and so you're, those platforms are now available that help people better understand what they need for jobs that they're excited about, or more importantly, careers they're excited about. And back to your earlier point, Jackson, it helps them navigate these careers and have their own personal pathways and then find the training providers and find the resources that they need to enhance their careers. The ability to consolidate that in easily accessible ways in a platform like a skill up or a career karma and these other kind of newer innovations, I think is like part of a movement that we're excited about that brings technology, universities and employers together to kind of solve some of these issues around equity and access and career pathways and success. And so like, 
That's pretty exciting stuff. We're at the early stages of it. What we're really focusing on is how do we prove out those models and how do we scale those models so they're really moving at the national and regional level. And we're at the early stages of that work. Yeah, very exciting stuff, man. We're just about at the end of the episode, and I think you've just about touched base on everything, all the points that I had. But uh, kind of one thing to end off is what's next for you personally and JFF? I feel like with the challenges that you've overtaken, you can almost write a book at this point. Well, I think what we're really focusing on, on is solutions as well, man. So like, right, Jackson, like it's got to be around solutions and about innovations along the way. And so I think what we're really looking at are big swings, you know, and where do we think we can disrupt the ecosystem systems that, you know, we, we, we came out with some work a couple of months ago called the big blur where we're designing a whole new model that doesn't have traditional silos like high school and two-year colleges or four-year colleges and work. And it blows that up and looks at a nonlinear approach with more accessible, either free uh, pathways and platforms or low cost that really doesn't, again, that, that kind of goes against the way we've been doing it for the last 50, if not 150 years. And like those kinds of solutions are really exciting for us. Innovative financing solutions are the things that we're working on. Believe it or not, looking at things that, you know, like in the metaverse, on like how do we think about that? We're looking at technologies, uh, artificial intelligence. We're looking at virtual reality. We're looking at blockchain. How is that transforming the workforce? How is that transforming how you and I and others learn? That's the stuff that we're really, we're really digging into that's really about, you know, moonshot and big swings. And that is all has to be founded in dual transformation, Jackson. So we're about transforming existing systems, right? We have systems that have been around for 250 years. And so we appreciate we need to be part of that to help them along to transform. But we're also parallel tracking really big inventive innovations along the way. Because sometimes you got to push really hard on the outside to bring the others on the inside along with you. And then you find that middle ground that actually can be transformative over time. That's the stuff that we get excited about. That's stuff that personally, why I joined JFF and why, you know, I, I get fired up every day to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to hear that, man. Where can listeners that are listening to this right now, where can they reach you and learn more about JFF? I know for a fact that I'm going to be following you and everything going forward, but uh, give a couple of shout outs there. Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, you know, jff.org, uh, we're jobs for the future, but we go by JFF. So, you know, it's always helpful to come to our our digital platform and website. You know, there's a lot of research and insights and kind of just good clarity on like what we do and how we do our work. You know, I, I'm i out there, uh, you know, we're going to have a big presence in South by uh, in South by Southwest in March. And so uh, South by EDU as well as South by, and there's other conferences that we are very prominent in around digital credentialing, educational workforce innovation. And, you know, we have, you know, like all of us, myself included, if it's LinkedIn, if it's Twitter, you know, we're pretty active uh, socially and kind of our own thought leadership that we drive along the way. So um, we're out there and, you know, easy enough to find me via the website and, and my emails if people have uh, additional questions and and especially if people are looking to to partner in any kind of ways that we think could be innovative to, pro to, to solve the problems that excite us. So thanks for the shout out, Jackson. I appreciate it. But we... Uh, we're open arms for all different folks that are they're looking to to to, uh, to solve problems with us. Of course, man. Yeah, Rusty, your passion, you can't ignore it. It's right there. It's full out and it's going to inspire a lot of people going forward. So it's been a pleasure having you on, man, and can't wait to see what you're taking on in the future. 
Thanks, Jackson. I appreciate the opportunity. Great to, uh, great to be part of this. Of course, man. Thanks for listening, everybody. My conversation with Rusty really helped to shine a light on some of the systemic issues that are still present in the career and education ecosystem today. After our discussion, I'll be taking away several key insights. Here are three takeaways that stood out to me from the episode. First, the systems we've created to help people develop and advance their careers are not equitable. In fact, they're riddled with inequality and injustices. It's time we overhaul outdated ways of doing things to welcome in new perspectives that will level the playing field for marginalized communities like Black and Latinx youth. Second, as Rusty mentioned, there's nothing linear about the way we live our lives today. So shouldn't our education and career pathway systems reflect this? We need more innovation, disruption, and creative thinking to help bring traditional systems into the light of the 2020s and address the real needs of today's youth. Finally, collaboration is key. Rusty made some great points about how the education system, the workforce, and the government are still operating in silos. But as we know, this isn't the best way forward. JFF is championing stronger partnerships among these different entities to increase collaboration and drive innovation faster. Thanks for listening to Present Day Pioneers. I hope you learned something valuable from today's episode and that you're feeling inspired to forge forward boldly into a better future. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfor. Be sure to tune in for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast.